welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. All right, friends. If you want to make your way back to your seats, that would be great. Uh, man, such a great morning. The sun's shining. Um, it's going to be 30 degrees this week. Wow. Uh, I don't, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm excited about that. I am. Uh, and at the same time, Trevor and I were talking this morning. It feels a little erratic, you know? It's like, just give me 20 and a little and some snow, and I'll be good for like a number of months. It's the back and forth. But either way, we'll take it. Um, welcome to you. We're really glad that you're with us. Um, I want to start by saying maybe you came in the front doors and noticed we have a little display in the gallery. Uh, and I want to pause just for a moment and say, art uh, intends to provoke. Art intends to engage, and so um, we wanted to put something out there that would engage us, provoke us to think about um, what's happening in our world. Uh, Obviously, there's a war happening in Israel and in Gaza, and I would encourage you as people of faith to be thoughtful about your thoughts, to um, metacognition is thinking about our thinking. Um, Why do you think the things that you think about what's happening over there? What informs that? Um, Where do you get your information Is there another side to the story? Um, That's obviously saying something. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Um, It's the beginning of a conversation. It's not the end of a conversation. Like the pulpit at Awaken, if you've never been here before, is not ex cathedra. I'm not the pope and I don't speak as the last word. This is really the first word, the beginning of a conversation. So I hope that you, as you leave, or maybe as you thought about it and you're like, oh, wow, that's interesting. I didn't expect to see that. Okay, good. Um, Well, let's do some thinking about that. So that's the whole point of art. Um, If you are new, welcome to you. We would love to know that you're here. Uh, There are some uh, ways you can let us know that in the seat pockets in front of you. If you go to our website, Awaken West 7th, fill out one of those cards. Somebody from our team will reach out, invite you to a beverage of your choice, and we can get to know each other a little bit. A few things we want to let you know about that are happening. Uh, The the, the Awaken Weekly goes out every week by email. All these details are in there, so you can subscribe to that. But a couple things we want to note. Number one, uh, Mondays with Micah, that's a little breakfast for the men of Awaken every two weeks or, or so. So that's the second and fourth Mondays, of which one is tomorrow. Uh, so we will be in St. Paul at Day by Day Cafe, 7 o'clock. If you're interested, join me for breakfast with some other folks. Uh, there's a karaoke night coming up. <clears throat> I've done karaoke once in my life, and I thought it was a good idea to sing Long December by the Counting Crows. There may have been, uh, well, yeah. <clears throat> uh, that's happening on, well, not long December. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But karaoke is happening on January 27th, 6 to 9. Uh, please register for that because there will be food, um, so they want to know you're coming. That's happening here at the church. Uh, there is an introduction to the Enneagram workshop. So if you are familiar with the Enneagram, it's a self-discovery tool, uh, much like the Myers-Briggs or some of these others. It's a way by which we can understand ourselves and, the, and, and how we approach the world. So that's happening on February 3rd from 10 to noon. You can register online for that. And then last but not least, prom is coming back, you guys. It is happening again on March the 1st. We've got a prohibition theme for prom that may or may not have anything to do with us being prohibited from our denomination, but either way... <laughs> Uh, that will be on March the 1st, and that is just an excuse to get together and have fun, to dance, uh, to, to, to be merry together. 
uh, it was sort of a born out of COVID, and we're like, we need a dance party. So prom happened last year, and it was a banger, a real good time. So I invite you to go. This is not just for the young of Awaken, friends. I'd like to remind you, there were a number of uh, second half of lifers who made an appearance last year and, and did quite well. So um, please join us for that. Join us for that. There were no ambulances or anything called. It was a great night. Um, if you have your Bibles, uh, get them. We're going to be in 1 John. We are in week three of a series on 1 John. This is the season of Epiphany, where we celebrate the light of God coming into the world. And uh, just by way of review, we began our series with an introduction to the book and the prologue of the book, which is the first four verses. Uh, this book, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, all go together. They were written somewhere between 90 and 110 AD. So this is first, second generation Jesus followers after Jesus has re- uh, ascended. Um, this is to a group of churches in, uh, in near the city of Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey, And it's a group of house churches who are dealing with a particular issue. And so John is writing them a letter, a number of letters, addressing what's happening there. And that's commonly known uh, by commentators and scholars of the Bible as the cessationists. So these were like folks who were seceding from the union, as it were. They were leaving the fellowship of the church. They were offering, preaching, inviting people to what what, uh, New Testament writers often call a different gospel. Right? A different good news they were adding or subtracting to this gospel, this good news that they, the apostles were in charge of or entrusted with. And so last week, uh, or, or we, the, the prologue, is uh, we started in week one, that which was from the beginning. You know, that. What is that? Well, that is the word of life, the logos and the zoe, these two Greek words which are so full of, of meaning Uh, That which was from the beginning, the word of life, which we have seen and testified to, which we have uh, experienced and heard and touched, uh, has we 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 share that with you. That that word of life, it has appeared in Christ, and we we testify to it so that you might also have fellowship with it. This is the intent of the author. Right. Last week we kind of zoomed out a little bit, and I want to just uh, start here this morning because we're going to kind of build on this. So. If you want to throw that first uh, graphic up there, Zane, for me, I, we talked about revelation and the idea that when we, come to the, when we come to the Bible, I invited you to read 1 John. And many of you had interesting experiences with 1 John because it's very binary. It's either or, it's kind of black and white, it's do this, don't do that. There's not a lot of gray, not a lot of nuance. And so for people who are maybe have are maturing in their faith and moving beyond the, the beginning stages of faith, that kind of rubs the wrong way sometimes. So we, we talked about revelation, and I offered this idea that for many of us, we grew up in a system where God, uh, Father, Son, and Spirit, right, the Trinity, uh, reveals God's self to us, and in doing so, gives us the Bible. Like, that's the revelation of God. It's a closed canon, so on the right, it's, it's, it's done, it's been spoken. And so then, reason, science, creation, tradition, and I would argue, even Jesus at times submits to the Bible or has to pass through the Bible. So if it's closed and if it's frozen, then our only option is to submit to the scriptures, because it's authoritative, right? It's the word of God, and then apply it to our lives. And so for some of us who come to the Bible and we're like, well, Mark 16 you know, the end of Mark's gospel wasn't in the original manuscripts, but it's in my Bible, so which one is it? That's a valid question, right? God seems to condone and endorse and encourage genocide of a group of people in the Old Testament. That's a valid question. 
Well, what do you do when you come to that? First John feels a little like square. What do you do? You submit and you apply or you walk away. And so for, uh, for many of us, that's, that's a, uh, it, leaves, it leaves, leaves me wanting. I'll speak for myself. And I would argue that's a static view of revelation. I want to I actually argue for a more, um, well, I think a more biblical understanding of revelation, if you can go to the next slide, which looks a little bit more like this. God, uh, in, intent on revealing God's self to us, gives Jesus as the full revelation of God. If you want to know what God is like, you look no further than Jesus. And that the Spirit, actually, is the key that unlocks the, the mysteries of the divine. And so then, as we submit reason and science and scripture, creation, tradition, to the work of the Spirit among us and in us, that we then are in relationship with, or are closer to, drawn into fellowship with this Christ, this Jesus, which is what the author is inviting us to, and that this is a dynamic and ongoing work of revelation. That God is not done revealing. God is still speaking. And so, like in the book of Acts, when the Spirit seems to move beyond the scriptures for Paul, and for Peter, right? Don't eat what's uh, meat sacrificed to idols. And Peter's like, I can't. And the Spirit says, kill and eat, Peter. You're fine. When the Spirit moves beyond even scripture at times, we can trust that that's, a, like, like that's good, Right? So this is an ongoing and, and dynamic revelation. I'm going to argue this, not the previous slide. So that's where we started last week. Why is this important? Because what we're talking about is authority. If you want to go to the next slide, Zane. We're talking about authority. If I make a claim upon what authority is it rooted in, upon what is it based, where does it find its power, right? So we're having a conversation about authority. And I want to just offer to you a quick view of history as a way of kind of locating ourselves. The first generation of Jesus followers, I would submit, I would argue that the spirit of Jesus was, was what led them and was where the authority, if they claimed something was true, it was the spirit among them leading them as they discerned. Look at the book of Acts chapter 15. That's the spirit at work, right? And this is the way it worked. They had the gospels. Early on in the first few centuries, they would have, many of them would have said, Paul who? F Ephesians what? First Corinthians? Those weren't even books yet. So for the first few generations, it was the spirit of Jesus in and among the church leading them to be the Jesus followers in the world. Okay? Now, when we get to like 300 and Constantine and Christianity becomes the official religion of the empire, go ahead and next slide, Zane you get apostolic succession, like to the degree that something can be traced back to an apostle is the degree to which it had authority. That becomes bishops in the early church. That becomes the pope when the east and the west split. But it's tradition. So authority lies in the pope or the tradition or the degree to which it can be traced back to the apostles or the bishops, right? And this is the way the church kind of functioned for a number of centuries. Let's call it seven or eight uh, the third generation or third iteration is what we call the Protestant Reformation. So next slide, you have Luther comes along and he says, not the Pope, because what the Pope's being, uh, the, what the Pope's saying is being questioned, right? He says, sola scriptura, sola fide, sola gratia, faith alone, scripture alone, uh, grace alone. And so the authority is not in the Pope, but, 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 but rather in the Bible, 
So we can claim something's true and authoritative because it's in Scripture, not because the Pope or the tradition says it. So this is broad brushstrokes, but I want to just kind of like locate us, right? So now for you and me, next slide. The question is, what do you choose? Where do you place authority? When you say something's true or right or good, why? Upon what do you base that claim? I want to suggest that actually we go back to the beginning, where the story begins. It's not that tradition doesn't matter, and the saints who have come before us, and the, the people who line our windows except for that one, have something to say for us, to us, right? No, that's not what I'm saying. And I'm not saying that the scriptures are not authoritative and that they don't matter. That's not it. But what I am saying is that those things are submitted to the power of, the leading of, the spirit of Jesus in and among the church. Amen? And as we do that, that's where we find life. So, that's all set up. Are you ready to study the scriptures this morning? All right, here we go. 1 John chapter 5. Uh, here's what I want to do. I want to zoom in on what the author is actually saying because he gets to these succeeders, these people who are leaving, and he is addressing them. And then I want to zoom out and say by, by addressing that, like what's he saying about God and the world we live in? And then if we accept that, if we say yes to that invitation, like so what? That's where we're going today. So, uh, Mike, if you would, First John chapter 5, I'll invite you to... Yep, that's right. Chapter 1, not chapter 5. Yep, verse 5 of chapter 1. I'll invite you to stand in body or in spirit for the reading of the word, and then we are going to start cooking with oil. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have heard since the beginning. This old command is the message you've heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Pray with me if you would. <clears throat> God, as we gather this morning, I do so with a deep commitment to the reality that your spirit is present among us and in us. That it promises to lead us to light because you are light. It promises to lead us to what is good and true and beautiful and right. And so we need not fear or be anxious, but, but rather only say yes to the leading of your spirit. So as a community, help us to discern and see and hear and sense who you are where you're leading, and what you're calling us to. I pray in the strong name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. The church said together, amen. 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 You may be seated. 
I'm a little wound up this morning, guys. Uh, I'm pretty, I'm so excited about this, and um, which is better than me not being excited about this, right? Uh, so uh, I'll try to take a few breaths for those of you who um, maybe are like, are we going to need to call the ambulance for this guy? Um, remember why John is writing this book. He has a group of people who are succeeding. They're, they're leaving the fellowship, and they are making claims um, about certain things, and John, the author, is addressing those claims. And we know that, uh, and he begins to, to address them in this section and following, when he says, if we claim to dot, dot, dot. And so uh, we're going to zoom in here a little bit and see, like, what are these people claiming, and how is John uh, uh, sort of addressing that or refuting that? So let's start in verse 6. He says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, but... We walk, uh, but walk in darkness. So the first thing this group of people are claiming is that they are, uh, that they, uh, they have fellowship with God and that they're walking in the light. And John's like, they are, don't have fellowship with God and they're walking in darkness. Um, and he argues this based on two things. The first of which is, if you have fellowship with him, Christ, then you will walk in the light and not in the darkness. Well, that's easy to say. Anybody can say, well, I'm in the light and you're in the dark, right? We've, how many of you have said this to your spouse before? I am in the light here and you are in the dark. It's pretty clear. And anybody can say that. But like, upon, like what is he basing this on? He, he gives us a, a definition of it, as it were, in, in verse 9 of chapter 2. He says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister, so that's how he's defining it. If you walk in the light, you don't hate your brother or sister. And you people who are succeeding, leaving, you have hatred for your brothers and your sisters, so clearly you cannot be walking in the light. He goes on in verse uh, chapter 3. He says, the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And then in chapter 4 he says, and he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. So John says, like, God has given us a command, and if you obey God's commands, God lives in you and you in God. Well, what are God's commands? God's commands are you don't hate your brother and sister. And if you live in God and you walk in God, then you don't hate your brother or sister and you're walking in the light. Therefore, logically, if someone has contempt for their brother or sister, one of the secessionists, and they're treating them with contempt or, or with, with ill will, they're hating their brother or sister, they cannot be walking in the light. He argues it on a second point when he says, if you have fellowship with him who is the light, then we will have fellowship with others who are in the light. So because they don't love their brothers or sisters, and because they've broken off and ceased to be in fellowship with this group of believers, John is saying, you cannot be walking in the light, right? Sort of a, a deductive reasoning. It's quite, it's good logic, actually. So that's the first thing they're claiming. They're claiming, oh no, we're in the fellowship, uh, and we're in the light. And John's like, no, you can't be because you hate your brother or sister. And God says, like, that's not cool. You can't be in the light if you're doing that. And if, you are in, uh, if, you're, if you're in God and walking in the light, then you will have fellowship with other believers, even among difference. And clearly you've broken off. And so, like, this thing can't be true, what you're saying, right? That's the first claim he, he refutes. Second thing they say is, if we claim to be without sin. Now, Evidently, these folks are claiming to be without sin, which I would argue is like a category assessment. This is like a status, okay? This isn't about particular action, but about one's position. And they're claiming to be without sin. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Who is the he in this? This is Christ. This is Jesus. And will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So these folks are claiming to be without sin. Again, a category statement. Then he says, if we claim we have not sinned, this is what the successionists are claiming. We have not sinned. Now he moves to like, uh, from status to like a particular, to one who claims, uh, claims that they have not sinned. Imagine if I said, like, I am not a Democrat, right? That's a category. Like, that's a status declaration. And then I said, I did not vote for the Democrat in the last election. That's like a particular action. They're related to one another, but they're not the same thing. Do you follow? What John is saying is these people are saying we are without sin, which is a category or a status or a positional statement. And they're also claiming that we did not sin or or are not sinning, which is like particular, on the boots on the ground. So they're making statements at both levels, and John is refuting both of them. Okay? So these folks are claiming to be in fellowship with God and to be walking in the light, and he's like, no, you are not in fellowship because you've broken off, and you're in the dark because you hate your brother or sister, which is sin, (laughs) so you can't claim to be without sin or have not sinned. Right? This is all the work John's doing, like, like, in the nitty-gritty of the text. Now, if you keep an eye out as you read 1 John, you can locate the places where he's addressing the particular things happening in his context because he starts with that, if we claim to, which is what these people are claiming. Right? So that's kind of a key if you want to keep studying in 1 John. You can find those. And in these first three that we just went through, for John, it's all about light. The word of life, right, the the, the logos and the zoe, that which was from the beginning, the word of life, which has appeared in Christ, which was one with the Father, which is God. In verse 5, he puts it all together. This is the message we have heard and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. So let's zoom out a little bit. What's John saying about the character and the nature of God and the world that we live in by saying God is light? And I want to pause here just for a moment, and I want to uh, make a, uh, an important caveat. Uh, this is not a conversation about those people who are light and dark. All right? This is not a conversation about whiteness and blackness or any of the shades in between. I would be remiss if I didn't pause and say that within our own Christian history, uh, light and dark and this metaphor that's often used in Scripture has been used against our black brothers and sisters and those with more melanin, uh, and, and they have been made to feel less worthy or less valued because of the color of their skin or the darkness of their skin. And conversely, those of us who are uh, proximate to what we call whiteness, have been made to feel better or that we are more valuable or somehow superior because we're closer or more proximate to whiteness. And I want to just say that that's not the conversation John is having. Are we all clear on that one? Can I get an amen? <laughs> okay. Uh, this is a metaphor used in Scripture, and it's about luminosity. It's about luminescence, not the, not the what was that, uh, the one like uh, Dan Brown, you know, Lumina, it's not about the luminati, (laughs) it's about luminosity and luminescence. It's about the property of light. And the absence of light, 
also known as darkness. So it's about the property or the, the, the metaphor of light and darkness, and it's about equating light to life, and it's about darkness as the absence of life. So this metaphor of light equals life and darkness is the absence of life is all through the scriptures. You need to read one chapter to three verses at the beginning. Right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. And, what, and, and darkness covered over the deep, right? And God draws the light out of the darkness, which is life, creative force. So this metaphor is all through the Bible. John relies on it heavily in this book. And the gospel of John relies heavily on it. That's what we're talking about. Light equals light, life, creative energy, force, and darkness equals the absence of that. That's the, that's the metaphor. So I want to just pause and start there. So the word of life, that which has appeared, which was from the beginning, which was with the Father, which was one with the Father, is God, and that God is light, and that light has come. So what has John said about the character, the nature of God? I want to say first and foremost... That the, the, about the nature of God, that there is no shadow. And I love this idea. Um, I think about this often in my own life. Um, it, I've, I've got a prop this morning, you guys. Trevor, can you kill the lights for me? And it's not going to work really, you know, but just go ahead and give me blackout in, in the house. Here we go. Okay. Um, God is light. So what John is saying is essentially that in the divine being, like God's very essence, God is that which is light. Meaning there is no shadow in the person of, the character of, the being of the divine. Um, God rather illuminates that which was in darkness. So if we cover this thing up, right, that which was in darkness, God, the, the being of God illuminates that which is now in the light. Uh, the light always brings attention to its object. In this case, my face. It, it, it's, not, it, it's not trying to draw attention to itself. It only serves to illuminate the other, much like love. Love Love is not selfish. Love illuminates. Love draws the other out. Love uh, 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 brings the other into, right? This is what light does. In light of this reality, no pun intended, or pun intended, right? There's no shadow in God. Like, there's nothing that's lurking in the corner underneath that which is God, the light. There's nothing that's being hidden in this. There's, it's, it's, there's nothing under the covers there's nothing that you can't see. It, it is, it is. God is light. And it also means, Trevor, you can go ahead and turn the lights back on, and I'm going to turn, I'm going to just move this here for now. Um, I would argue it, it means that God, uh, um, it, when we say God is light, it means that there is no shadow in God, but then that that being is also trustworthy and true. Um, I love woodworking, so we're going to go to class today. Um, in woodworking, there are a couple of ideas that you want to be familiar with if you want to be successful as a woodworker. They are like flat, <laughs> coplanar 
meaning like if there are two planes, not airplanes, but two planes, that they are not crooked, right, or cockeyed. They're not tilted. They are coplane. They're on the same plane, so coplanar and flat, and then square and plumb, okay? Here are a couple of tools that you're going to need to know about in woodworking. Go to the next slide. On the top is what's called a jointer. On the bottom is what's called a planer. And they work with the same idea. There's a cutter head in the middle, and that cutter head is moving the opposite direction that the wood is being fed. So if I'm feeding wood into a jointer, that cutter head is actually rotating this way, and, it's, and the wood's being fed through that way. If it went the other way, you'd just shoot the wood out, right? As the cutter head meets the wood, it's taking a portion of the wood off. On a jointer, there are two beds, or two, an infeed table and an outfeed table. And those two tables have to be flat and coplanar. And if they are, then you set the blades of the cutter parallel to and uh, equal to the, 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 the outfeed table. So when you pass the wood through, whatever inconsistencies you have on this side are cut off and it's met with a flat table on the outfeed. Over time, depending on how warped or bumpy your board is, you can take off high spots and low spots and you can create a dead flat piece of wood. Everybody with me so far? Now, if you want to go to the next slide for me, on the left here is your jointer. There's also a fence on the side, and that fence is perpendicular to the flat table that you've got. That's called square. So if you create a flat surface, and then you put that flat surface against another uh, surface, you can create a 90-degree corner. That's square. From there, you can build almost anything. Right? All, the, all the things that you look around you are, are based on these ideas and variations of them. So that's a joiner. This is a planer. Go back to that previous one. On the bottom, a planer, you have your flat tables on the bottom, and they're the same. Infeed and outfeed are the same. And you register your flat piece of wood on the table, and then that cutter head is parallel to the flat surface that you've got. So whatever inconsistencies you now have on the top, you can take off. Why? Because you have a flat surface on the bottom. This is how woodworking works. Now, why am I telling all of this? because I love woodworking. <laughs> but also, go to that next slide. If you dial in these tools and you spend time working, you can get like the variances down to thousandths of an inch to where, for all intents and purposes, you have true machines. Meaning, when you pass a piece of wood through a joiner and it's true, it will always give you a flat surface. You can trust it. It's trustworthy. If you dial in a, jo uh, a, a joiner on the left and a planer on the right, when you pass a piece of wood through a planer, if you have a flat surface and your tool is true, it will give you a true parallel surface. And from there, you can do all kinds of things. I want to suggest that when John says God is light, not only is there no shadow in God, but that the essence of God is trustworthy and true. Meaning, when you dial these machines in, they will always give you a true product, a true piece of, right? They are, you can trust them. Similarly, with God, God is light, there is no shadow in God, and God, in essence, is trustworthy and true. So, 
What you put in, you will always get the same experience. Why? Because God is true. Well, then the question is like, well, what is that? What is God like? How would we describe God? You know, square, plum, coplanar. That's what those things produce. But what does the scripture say about God? God is love. God is kind. God is compassionate. God is long-suffering. God is forgiving. God is patient. If those claims are made and John says God is light, there is no shadow, there's no hiddenness in the divine, and God is trustworthy and true, the question for you and I is do we believe that? And if we do... We can give ourselves like a piece of wood gives itself to the machine that is true, trusting that when we apply it, when we uh, submit to it, when we offer ourselves to it, what we get will be trustworthy and true. We will not get a shadow. We will not get something hidden that we don't see. We will not get God yanking the, 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 the... covers the rug out from underneath us. We won't get unforgiveness. We won't get meanness. We won't get unpatience. We won't get like uh, uh, some angry being. That's not what God is like. This is what John is arguing. This is what John is trying to say. So for you and I, we have this great like crossroads we find ourselves at. Do we believe that? Is God light? Is God trustworthy and true? Is there any shadow in the divine? And if not, then what is said about God is these things, then we can, we can say yes to that in good faith, without anxiety, knowing that God does not change. We will not get something that we... Do you see what I'm saying here? This, I think, is what John is arguing. This is what John is saying. And because of that, what does it say about the world then? Well... There's something to hope in, friends. Like, we put that art up there in the gallery because the world that we live in at times, and often sometimes, is very, very dark. And and tragic and terrible. And what John is arguing, what John is claiming, is that that which was from the beginning, the word of life, which which has appeared in Christ, which we've seen and testified to, which we hope you will now have fellowship with, that thing is light and that thing has no shadow in it and it's trustworthy and true and it has come and it has not been overtaken by the darkness so no matter how dark it gets no matter how hard it gets no matter how difficult it might be john is arguing that there is something to hope in because that which has come which is light which has not been overtaken by the darkness is now alive and well in the world and being offered to you and me That's good news, friends. And I don't know where you've come from this morning. I don't know what you carry into this room. I don't know what kind of situations you are in the midst of, how dark it might be, how difficult it might be, how shadowy it might feel. But if we know anything about humans, we know that we desperately need, like psychologically, we need something to have hope in because the alternative is despair. And that is death. That's shadow. That is darkness. And John says, no, friends, the light has come. And the light will not, has not been overtaken or will be overcome. And that the light will overtake. Like, 
in the end, there will only be light. That's the hope of resurrection. So this is a simple and yet very complicated idea that John is inviting us to consider this morning. And I, I offer it to you this morning as, a, as an invitation. John says, walk in the light. Well, what does that even mean? It means that if we say yes to this thing that has come, this word of life that which was from the beginning, if we say yes to that and we, we turn our face towards it, then we begin to see things for what they really are with increasing degrees, right? We begin to see because the light, which, which is, there is no shadow, illuminates and shows things for what they are. As people who face the light turn ourselves towards it, like say yes to it, we, with increasing degrees of maturity and growth and, and moving, we begin to see things for what they really truly are. Which means we stop grabbing for the infomercial that says you're going to be happy if you do this or that or the other thing, or you, you wander off with somebody else's spouse, or you buy that thing, or you, right? We begin to see those things for what they are. We don't keep running, walking around in the world bumping into things as if we can't see. Now, of course, if you've, if you've been near enough to me, you'll know that I bump into things all the time, right? All the time. But I'll close with this. Um, we're working with a lot of metaphors today. So do you guys know what transition glasses are? Yeah, transition glasses? Okay. So the idea of transition glasses is like, if you, ha- if you wear glasses, that you have these glasses and they help you see. And then when you're not in direct sunlight, they're clear. And then when you go into direct sunlight, they transition. They become like sunglasses, right? They darken so that you can see in the bright light of the day. I want you to like flip the metaphor. What John is inviting us to, walk in the light. It's as if you and I walk around in the world with these glasses on that are darkened, right? With these lenses by which we can't like, we keep bumping into things and we can't quite surely identify this thing for what it truly is. And what John says is, turn towards the light. Walk towards the light. Be in the light. And as you do, those dark glasses become clear. And you begin to see things for what they really truly are. And as you keep your face turned towards the light with increasing degrees, and as you grow and mature, that surely, slowly but surely we begin to like, become better at this. We become wise, maybe even, mature. And of course, every now and again, I turn to the left and my eyes become dark and I bump into things. But John says, no, just turn back towards the light. That's what repent means. Turn towards it. So walk in the light. And friends, when this happens, arguably, when a community does that, there is this sweet fellowship that comes from a community of people with their face turned towards the light. And there should be, I would argue, there is an aroma of life. Because we begin to see things for what they truly are. We begin to identify them for what they are. We begin to walk in them. And there is fruit and richness in that. That's the invitation of John. That's the invitation of Jesus. And that's the invitation of Pastor Micah today for the church. So I offer it to you for your consideration. You choose. This is what this church is about. This is the direction we want to be on. This is the place where we want to go. And we invite you to join us. And when we do, we believe that there is good, well, that it's good news in the world. That it's more light, more love, more fruit, more richness, more ability to see things for what they truly are. 
And that as we do that, it's, there's life because we're in the light. So let me offer a word of prayer and we'll, uh, we'll invite us to the table this morning. God, we gather in this place. A uh, lot here in this passage, very complex and yet at the same time very simple. And so for just a moment we pause and we ask, Holy Spirit, lead us, guide us. Like, turn on the lights. If there are parts of our life that are uh, in the dark, that we're hiding or that we're ashamed of, that you would kindly and gently bring the light to us and remind us that we are loved, that insofar as we walk towards you, there is life. So do that work in us, I pray. My friends gathered this morning, thank you for your patience this morning. Got a little long-winded and people always ask me like, Micah, if we're going to deconstruct something, if we want to ask questions like, how do you rebuild it? Like, this is it. This is the stuff. This is like the, the white meat of the coconut. This is the marrow of the, faith, the, the, the life of faith. Um, I just think this kind of, yeah. So thank you for sticking with us. Um, go with this blessing, like, and I hope you, you, you hear it and know it and live it from the bottoms of your feet to the top of your head. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance, his face to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church gathered together said, amen. Grace and peace, friends. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.